What's up, everybody? It's Intuition, and this is Kinda Neat. Thank you guys for tuning in. We're coming from Cosmic Zoo Studios in Atwater Village, run by the amazing Daddy Kevin, No Can Do. Appreciate the use of the space. Check them out at CosmicZoo.org. This week, we had in a young man that really makes me feel kind of old, actually. Uh, His name is Milo, coming from Maine and Wisconsin, and generally just all over the place. He's a good dude, and we had a good uh, philosophical conversation, and it got me to thinking about artistry. Uh, I I remember having a conversation with my buddy Serengeti one time outside of a show where I said, yeah, you know, man, I'm really taking time uh, on my next record because, like, who knows what's going to happen afterwards. You know, I'm getting to a point where I don't know. Who knows if I'll keep pursuing music afterwards? And he said something that really struck a chord with me. He said, really? Like, can you just turn it off? Meaning my creativity. And, and, I, and I got to wondering about that. I'm like, I, I don't know if I could just turn it off. And he said, I, I could never turn it off. Like, uh, no matter what, my mind will always have to create. That struck me as very profound because I don't know if I'm that way. Uh, part of me hopes that I am that way, uh, that I wouldn't be able to turn off the creativity, but I, I just don't know. I've always had this kind of artistic Napoleon complex where I don't present myself outwardly as an artist. Uh, I don't try to portray uh, myself as someone where you see me and you instantly go, oh, that guy must do this. He must be creative. He must be a rapper. I'm just a normal dude that happens to rap, um, but I have multiple other creative outlets. Even as a kid, when I was young, I remember being in high school and excelling at art getting like artist of the month at my small school a few different times, but still in my, my head going, am I really, am I really an artist? Because I felt like I could turn on my creativity whenever I needed to. And I could be influenced and imitate whomever we were studying in art class at that time. But I was never that dude that would go home and just pick up a pencil and draw just to draw or, uh, pick up a paintbrush and a canvas and just paint to paint. I would do it for a grade and I would do it so people could see that I needed that I could do it when I needed to. But it makes me wonder about my rapping too. Like, do I do this just to show people or do I really, really need it? I had a discussion with Milo outside uh, after the podcast and kind of explained the same thing. And he said something that was very comforting. He said, um, He's a philosophy major, so this is a guy who spends a lot of time in his own head, it seems, and and does a lot of thinking. And he said something very comforting. He said, you know, Sartre said, a good man is anxious about being evil, which made me think maybe um, the fact that I worry about being an artist and worry about my creativity means that I am a creative artist. Uh, So who knows? Hopefully that's the case. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Remember to uh, follow us on Twitter at that's kind of neat. Uh, follow me on Twitter at it's intuition. Check out my man Ben Shim behind the boards at I am database, base with two S's. And uh, yeah, be sure to check our YouTube channel as well. There should be some YouTube videos starting to flow. This is kind of neat, and uh, enjoy the conversation we had with Milo. How's your trip to LA been? It's been 
Glorious. It's been, um, you remember excellent? Van Glorious. Yeah, it's been great. What have you been doing while you've been here? I've been sleeping on Open Mike Eagle's couch. I've been eating tacos. And I've been rapping. Where have you been eating tacos at? El Atacor? Is that the name of the place? They had potato ones. And No Can Do got whooped at Marvel vs. Capcom. You beat No Can Do at a video game. Yo, I really am about that nerd life. I wasn't making that shit up for rap song. I've played James in Street Fighter a few times. Yo, he, he got has flexed. Molly whopped me. No, he didn't even come close. Like, he did not. Like, uh, Michael was there. Flacco was there. They can confirm this. Where at? El Atacor at the taco joint. I've never heard of this place. Where is that? It was 24 hours. I don't know, man. I'm not from here. What brought you to Los Angeles? Honestly, my school gave me a, a refund check. And uh, I was like, well, here's an opportunity to buy a plane ticket. And so I told Mike and then James and, and Michael set up some shows. And then this tour to South by Southwest manifested all from this refund check, the serendipitous check. What school are you going to? I go to St. Norbert College in De Pere, Wisconsin. And what's that school all about? That school is all about being small and, um, I don't know, making good conversationalists. You're studying philosophy there? Yes, I do study philosophy there. And now, before the podcast started, you explained to me uh, that you wanted to go there because it has continental philosophy. Explain the difference because I, I don't All right, know. And a very overly simplified way of explaining it that anyone who studies philosophy hears this would be like, that shit ain't true. Um, analytic philosophy approaches philosophy like a science. Continental philosophy approaches it as an art. So do you just sit out at St. Norbert College in a toga in a circle and, and just uh, discuss <laughs> the sun, moon, and stars with your peers? Like a like a symposium? No, uh, I wish. That would be really cool. There's, it's really small, the philosophy program. There's only like 20 majors, and only about half of them are involved in it, seriously. Um, I mean, a lot of it is writing papers, doing research. You know. At what age did young Milo discover, I love philosophy and that's what I want to study? Yo, like everything that I think anyone gets into. I used to front a lot. Yeah, Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm prone to fronting. But I would be fronting like I knew about philosophy before I did. And then um, I got to college. I was originally like a political science major, but not not really. And uh, all my professors kept telling me I was asking like the wrong questions. And they're like, that's more of a philosophy question than it is for this. So, um, that's how I got into it. How does one front about knowing about philosophy? Are you like, oh. hey, bro, you don't know shit about the egocentric Yo, no, predicament? No, no, no. It'd just be like, you know, I would say things very confidently that I had no idea what they were about. So, like, I'd hear, like, a catchphrase, like, um, existence precedes essence. And then I would sort of unpack that myself. Uh, like, assume that I knew what Sartre meant, even though I'd never read any Sartre. Shit like that. What do you plan on doing with a philosophy major? Kind of whatever I want. Um, I don't know. I think goals are a bad thing to have. <laughs> I do. It's very it's very Kantian, but basically he has this idea that we should do things to do them, but not for any end game. So, uh, for example, rapping. Rapping is in itself the good. I don't rap for a reason. I rap because I like rapping. So future jobs. I don't know. I really want to be a post person, a post office person. I've had that dream since I was a little boy. And I really like cooking. Those are the two things that I have, I have to fall back on if this rap... Rap stuff doesn't work out. After philosophy, perhaps you'll go to uh, cuisine school? No, 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 no. I don't want to be a chef. I want to be a cook. I just want to make... Like, like a line cook? Yeah, like, oh, word, you need that Denver omelet? All right. Are you good at making omelets? I am. Yeah, it's it's kind of kind of an impressive skill. I have, like, 
I pulled that out on on a few ladies in my time. Um, where are you from? I'm from Maine. But you weren't born in Maine? I was not born in Maine. I was born in Chicago, Illinois. But being a rapper, if you... I'm from Chicago, you know, then there's um, a lot of questions that get asked that I couldn't answer because I moved from Chicago when I was six. So you grew up the majority of your life in Portland, Maine? Um, well, not Portland in particular, but yeah, Maine. My mom lives in Saco, which is about 15 minutes outside of Portland. It's like a super small beach town, really sleepy. What's Maine all about? I've never been there. What is Maine all about? Maine is all about um, unflinching kindness, I'd say. It's about... Um, community being friendly, and I feel like I I have a lot of that, and and like now visiting LA and like trying to talk to people on the street, and and they look at me like I must have you know schizophrenia or something, but that's what it is in Maine. Just being nice to your neighbor. Yeah, like in Maine. Here's the story. I uh, I was in Maine in January, and my girlfriend's dad is super into coffee, so I bought him a pound of this really good coffee. We have great coffee in Maine. And I, I sent it to him <clears throat> and the post office employee, the woman there, was like, It's very fragrant. What's going on? So I told her I was like, my girlfriend's dad trying to impress him by sending him some coffee. My mom, I talked to her on the phone last night. She told me the, the post office woman was like, Did the dad like the coffee? Like like following up on this story like a month later. That's that's Maine. Did you start rapping while you're in Maine? Um yeah, actually, I did. It's weird that you would ask me that. Yeah, I started rapping for real when I was in Maine. Yeah. How did you start rapping? I mean, I'm a young brown person, so I, I guess I've kind of always been rapping. But I started rapping seriously about a year and a half, two years ago. Um, over the summer of 2011, one of my best friends drowned in a public pool. And uh, I didn't really know how to handle that. So... I took this thing that I used to like freestyle with and try to impress girls with, and I stole a shlomo beat off the internet and wrote a song called "Just Us" for my friend Rob, who doesn't live here anymore. And um, that that matriculated into a mixtape called "I Wish My Brother Rob Was Here." How did he drown in a public pool? Um, he was skinny dipping, and he was, you know, doing things that young people do. And uh, the people that he was with, like, this is the worst part about the story. They left him, so he was found like butt naked in this public pool the next morning when the lifeguards came to open it up and like like an outdoor pool that they snuck into yeah and um i'd flown back to kenosha my high school town um to visit some people the day before it happened and the next day it was on the news it was like naked man found drowned in uh kenosha public pool and I, we were all like damn that'd be terrible to know that guy like you know what i mean like that's awful and then um i was in a bookstore later on my my ex-girlfriend's mom's bookstore and um my friend called me up and was like, dude, that was Rob who drowned. And I had this, like, crazy moment of, like, like destroying things. And yeah, it was bad. Like, I, I, like, flipped. I lost it. It was really difficult for me. So you were, what, like, 19 when that happened? Yeah, I was 19. So it inspired your rap career, though. Yeah, and it still does. Um, and that's something that I kind of struggle with to an extent is, uh, I don't know, Rob... Rob influences a lot of the raps that I write, and I make a lot of references to him. And, like, at every show that I do, I try to play Just Us um, for him, and, and, you know, it's it's really important to me. About a couple of weeks ago, his mom hit me up and was like, you know, I'm your biggest fan. Like, I just want you to know how much that, that means to me, that you that you keep Rob alive in your songs. And uh, 
I don't know. Before that moment, I guess I'd felt guilty about it. I almost felt like I was using these stories in an improper way. You know what I mean? Like maybe I should have just kept all that shit to myself, but I guess I felt a certain validation from his mom. I can relate to that, like feeling like using someone else's pain for your art can be exploitative. Yeah, that really fucks me up a lot. I think about that a lot. I went through the same thing. I released a song about my dad's uh, Alzheimer's, and I felt like my dad and I have a lot of unresolved issues that I'll probably never get to resolve now because of that. And I felt the same way where I didn't know if it's yeah. it was so personal I didn't know if I should put it out there because I felt like since he didn't have a voice to answer back, perhaps it was exploitative. Right. I mean, at first, obviously, I didn't feel that way at all because I didn't think anyone was paying attention to my music. And now it gets to the point where, you know, people are emailing me and they're like, yeah, your story about Rob helped me with this situation or something. And then I, I mean, I, that means the world to me to know that, that that can help someone. But at the same time, it's like, well, Rob was my friend. You know, and suddenly I just feel terribly guilty about the whole thing. So you mentioned Kenosha. When did you move to Kenosha? I moved to Kenosha, Wisconsin when I was uh, 16. So uh, I'm 21 right now, so five, five years ago. What took you back to Wisconsin? Um, my father wanted to um, leave New England, and he wanted to live um, in Chicago, but it was kind of on some, like, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air shit. Like, he thought I might get, like, whooped <laughs> being <laughs> from New England. So he picked, um, like, a suburb of Chicago. So, yeah, you mentioned, like, geographically. You mentioned yeah. this earlier to me. Geographically, Kenosha is part of the greater Chicago area, even though right. it's in Wisconsin. Exactly, yeah. You can take the Metra. Um, what is it, the Northwest Pacific, I think? Something, something like that. Union Pacific. Into the city? Yeah, into the city. It's, uh, what is it, $7, something like that. Did you spend a lot of time in Chicago during your high school tenure? Yeah, my mom's family is all in Chicago. My Shout-outs, I'm about to just turn into a super rapper. Um, my uncle is uh, lives in Chicago, and he's a rapper named Nizam. So he's like my hero, and I would watch him rap a lot. There's crazy shit going on in Chicago right now, like they're calling it Chirac. Oh my God. There's yeah. all this uh, yeah, really, really wild rap coming out of there. Has that experience influenced your music at all? Um, n no. Do you relate to the experience of that music that's coming out of there at all? Um, I relate to the experience of most rappers because I feel like we're all a little egotistical and we have a penchant for making serious things silly by making them rhyme. Um, outside of that, I don't feel like I share any narrative with those people. I, I think it's admirable, but no. So you moved out to Wisconsin with your dad. Your folks apparently split up. Right, yeah. When did they split up? My parents have been divorced since before I have memory. So basically my entire existence. When did your folks meet? Um, they met in high school, and they both uh, dropped out to have me. So you have young parents? Super young parents. Uh, is your dad pretty hip? My dad is so cool. Yeah. He's really cool. My dad, um, my dad's like the OG who got me into rap. And he got me into like Biggie. That's his favorite rapper in the whole world is Biggie. And um, yeah, dude, my dad is really cool, actually. He's, he's really dope. My mom is really dope. I don't mean to like make that one-sided. Yeah, no, my mom's super, super hip and cool and runs like a blog and she's getting interviewed by NPR and stuff. She's infinitely cooler than me. So you're 21, your folks had you when they were in high school, they must be very young as well. Yeah, they're both like in their early 40s. So they're probably from a generation that's influenced more by the music I grew up with than like the music that my parents grew up with. Mm -hmm. So are they both into rap music? Yeah, to a degree. Um, my mom is really into like folk music and I got really into folk music through my grandfather and then through her. My dad is super into rap. 
like you mentioned, you're brown. What is your mixture? You have like an interestingly oh. ambiguous yeah. Uh, yeah, heritage. Well, I upplay that all the time. Racial ambiguity is my favorite. But um, I'm Portuguese and black. My la- Yeah, my last name is Ferreira. My name's Rory Ferreira. So it's about... Which is which? Conquistador sounding as you can get. My dad is Portuguese and my mom is black. Are you close to both sides of the family? Um, I have a really small family. Uh, but no, I'm not close to both sides of the family. My father's father's family is sort of a mystery like the the whole portuguese strain of the family is sort of a mystery so your mom grew up in chicago do you see her side of the family a lot since you're closer there now absolutely um i'm working on this new record called cavalcade which is it's dedicated to my grandfather my mom's dad and uh yeah he's he's been having a bout of like scary potentially cancerous sickness things going on and we all flew out well, I drove down, but my mom flew out. Everybody came home to visit him and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, I'm really close to him. He's a humongous influence on me. Growing up in Maine, is that a predominantly white area? It is. Was it weird growing up as a mixed child in that environment? Like, did you ever get flack for it? Yeah, man, it sucked. What was interesting was, um, because I am racially ambiguous, I used to get called Mexican a lot when I was younger. I could see that being mistaken. If in LA, you might get mistaken for Mexican in the wrong neighborhood. Yeah, I've been mistaken for everything. Or the right everything. neighborhood. Motherfuckers used to, you know, yeah, pick on me and throw bottles at me and shit. It sucked. It was weird. Um, but, like, my dad is a super goon, so he's always handled that shit. Yeah, what's your dad do? <laughs> uh, he He does things, various things that make money. <laughs> what a ex- explain further. Yeah, I don't. I don't uh, oh shit, he uh, does things on the internet for money. So, like, you explained it to me. He's kind of a con man. We don't have to go too deep into it, but I, I, I like that term. I, like I don't that know term. if I I want to put my dad on blast for being a con man, but but he hustles. Yo, my dad knows the grind. And how does that influence you? And what have you learned from your dad? How does that influence me? Um resourcefulness my father absolutely never ever accepts a situation where he isn't in total control and because of that i've i've inherited that 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 very same um outlook and like for example with rap um like when i wanted to start rapping my dad's like okay i was like yeah dude like i'm gonna have to buy studio time he's like no like we'll get you the equipment you're gonna learn how to use it you're gonna you're gonna record your own shit like you're gonna be your own master and um I mean, that's what happened. I started recording mixtapes out of my dorm room because my father was cool enough to believe in me. Yeah, shout outs, Philly. What up? When they had you dropped out of high school, what took them from the Midwest to Maine? Um, my father's family's from New England. My dad was born in Lowell, Massachusetts. Um, so when my parents split, my father went back. And then when I was six, I went with him. Then my mom, in an effort to be closer to me, moved out there. So even though they're split up, they've been cooperative with each other? Mm, in the later years, absolutely. Now they they seem to be you know very peaceful with one another. But growing up, they didn't get along? You know, growing were... up, I mean, you know, uh, I'm, I'm an only child. Well, not really. I have four step-siblings and now a younger sister. But until I was 13, I was an only child. And anyone who's an only child with divorced parents knows that your your parents will use you as a weapon against the other one. And that sucks. There's a lot of, like, you know indoctrination that goes on and it's natural you know that's just what happens people are not perfect but now everything seems to be more or less hunky-dory growing up as a kid are you good in school you seem like you're a pretty heady person um was i good in school i never i never had to go to school 
it's something that's very interesting. Um, my father is very anti-school. He's he's very pro-education. He's on some Mark Twain shit, you know, and it's time to let um, education interfere with my learning, I think is a Mark Twain quote. And that's what my father was about. I never, growing up, if I didn't want to go to school that day, it was like, okay, don't go. <laughs> like, like, it was just like, don't go then. How often did that become a thing? Really often later on in like high school, I would just not go for we like, a lot, <laughs> um, which is weird because I was also my class president and all these other things. But um, yeah, I'm. I reading was always the big thing. My family is very into like self learning. Um, my grandfather on my mom's side ran away from Arkansas when he was 18, and he was like a sharecropper. And being like a young black dude at that time, like he saw a, like a black man get lynched. So for him, the whole the whole idea was like I I need to read as much as possible to teach myself, and that that ethic is still very fundamental in my family. And my mom probably reads like four books a week, and then that passed on to me. So I think that's probably naturally how I got into philosophy because a lot of it is how much of this do you want to read? Um, and I love reading, so yeah. But school, I'm not that big into it, which is why I'm skipping three weeks of it to go on this tour. How does one become the class president if you're skipping school constantly? Yo, I um, before I was this hairy behemoth in front of you, I went through a little swag period. And also on top of that, if you remember correctly, Barack Obama was elected president um, right around the time that I was finishing high school. So I kind of just rode that wave. People used to call me <laughs> Robama. So it was like, it was real easy. I wore like a suit. And gave like you know a pretty good speech, and everyone was like, "Yo, this dude's like Obama. We should make him our class president." And it happened. And then I never did anything. I was the worst class president in the history of class president. But I mean, you seem pretty bright. Was it one of those things where you wouldn't go to class, but then you would come in and just ace tests? No, I wish I was. I was uh, of that elk. I mean, I've never gotten like super bad grades or anything. I've always been able to have, you know, competent conversation. And I guess if it came down to it, I'd be good at proving myself. I just never felt the need to. Never felt, I've never felt obligated to demonstrate that I was good enough. It was just like, whatever. But you graduated. Yeah, I graduated and I got a full, basically a full ride to St. Norbert's. So that just doesn't add up to me. Like how, <laughs> how do you skip school <laughs> all the time and get a full ride to a private liberal arts college? Um, I mean, you know, dude, I'm, I'm. I'm a good writer. I'm a good writer. I'm brown. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, all these things factor in in this post-racial society to, you know, a lot of school money if I want it. It's funny to say I'm brown and then in this post-racial society. Well, like when I, it, it, ironically, yeah, 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 yeah. post-racial society. So what's uh, St. Norbert's like as far as like the racial diversity? Are you a gem there because you are oh, racially ambiguous? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, it's really a big sports school, and they're trying to they're trying to change that. I think, so they they kind of need me to a degree because I'm like this weird, racially ambiguous, art rappy weirdo, hairy guy. They like pay pay you to put you in the brochure. Dude, <laughs> they were talking about paying me to go to South by Southwest. Really? Yeah, I mean it's like that. Like they're they're super into what I do. So big sports school. Speaking of which, you're you're a big dude. You're like six three. Mm-hmm. We just met the other night on Wednesday, and the first thought that popped into my head was like, "You're like Chris from the Wire. Like you're you're a puppy with big paws." He, this guy shook my hand and fucking crushed it almost. And I'm and I'm by no means a weak person, but uh, you're a big dude. Did you grow up playing sports? Um, my dad is a big dude, and in my household, like 
intellectual rigor is held up as well as being able to like wrestle and, and do active things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up, I mean, I, I probably played every sport. I wasn't particularly good at any of them, but I played all of them. Like, was there one that you excelled at more than others? Um, yeah, but it was in college that I found it and that was this rowing. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm really good at it. All it is, is like how much punishment you can take. Basically. Yeah. I was going to say, it's not like so much of a, an acute, uh, skill. It's more like just how many times can you move your arms? Yeah. It's back about, and forth. it's about balance, grace, and just pain. And, and those are things that I can take in abundance and, yeah, it's awesome. I, I miss it. I can't do it now that I'm rapping. There's just no time. It was like 4.30 a.m. wake-ups every day. You're 19 and you start rapping? I started rapping when I was 19. And For real, yeah. Was the response immediate? Overwhelmingly so, yeah. I mean, being from Maine, being from Wisconsin, I've never been a part of a rap scene. I've never ever been like... There's never been OGs that have mentored me in person. Um, so my rap style is... Yes, it's got it's it's has an abundance of errors, I'd say. Um, And I don't measure bars and I'm not in a song structure like that. So it tends to be um, a polarizing thing. Either people really enjoy it and they're like, yo, it's very poetic and heartfelt or they just hate it, super hate it. Um, So I got a lot of both starting off and I still get a lot of both now. Was rap your first musical influence? Was that the thing that you gravitated towards earliest no i played violin for five years i did a year with piano i used to sometimes play the drums for this folk band yosemite but like listening habits like what did you listen to growing up oh listening habits yeah listening habits is a lot of it was a lot of underground rap stuff um in particular open mike eagle which is well documented he's like my number one influence he's more than my number one influence i'm just start fanning out right now he's like my hero all right yeah how did you find out about Open Mike Eagle? Okay, my uncle, Nizam, who raps in Chicago, is in the same fraternity as Mike. So uh, back in the MySpace days, when you could, like, click people's top eight and, like, find this whole web of connections, I found Open Mike stuff. And um, he was rapping about shit that I was into, like, booger fingers and, and things like that. And I, I just thought it was super cool. Being, like, the only brown kid that I knew in Maine, it's like, here's this paragon of weird blackness who's doing it unflinchingly and um yeah that that then got me in like bus driver and all the freestyle fellowship guys and then i used to listen to a lot of mr lift at one point and del the funky homo sapien and all that stuff so it was never radio raps no well because my uncle was an underground rapper um there's always been a certain degree of, like, don't listen to that shit. I mean, my dad is super into, like, old school kind of rap stuff. But, um, yeah, in terms of finding new groups, my my uncle was steady, like, yo, you can't listen to this garbage. I don't think that it's garbage, by the way. So what's it like now that your, you know, as you say, hero is, like, one of your cohorts? It's really fudging awesome. Um, to a degree, I've had to let that go. You know, it's like you got you to gotta grow up. And I am growing up. But there's still moments where I'll be like, yo, this dude, he's got the juice. And um, it's it's really neat, man. It's it's really cool to be able to hang out with these people and get to know them as persons and not mental constructs, you know. Um, not assigning personalities to them that I'd glean from their music anymore, but actually knowing them in themselves. Has meeting him ruined any of that for you? Like, d- did he live up to the construct you had? He surpassed it. 
So yeah, you signed a Hellfire Club. How did that come about? Hellfire. <laughs> um, Hellfire, how did it come about? I, um, being an only child, being the, frequently the only brown person, um, I've always wanted to belong to a group. Um, and with rap, because I rap weird, I've been turned down by like four labels now, I think. Yeah, it, it was like a summer of rejection. Shout-outs to Blake Gillespie for trying to proctor all these deals, too. But, oh, shout-out to Blake Gillespie. That's yeah, one that's, of my friends. Yeah, that's the dude. I've known yeah. uh, Blake as an online character since 2004. Yo, Blake has... We've actually hung out a few times He's put life. his reputation on the line for me a few times with labels, trying to hook shit up, and they've just hated me. So after a summer of rejection, I'd kind of given up. It was just like, what labels were you trying? Um, <laughs> Lefsa Waga? Um... Impose has like an in-house one called Dead Labor, and I want to say there's one. Oh, Anticon. Okay. So those are the four, yeah, that have told me I suck. And so after a summer of rejection, I made these double EPs, and Mike and Reagan, um, bus driver, were aware of my efforts and, and sympathetic to that. And I guess you know they just they hooked it up. They they played it for James, and he thought it was dope. And then I got I got this really cool email from bus driver is like if you still need help there is hellfire like like, like, like it's like a one-line email and uh my my grandmother had just come to visit me on campus and she gave me an 800 hundred dollar loan so i could make some physicals of this wp because i was like grams i guess i suck but i still am trying to make this work and um so she like flew out to give me this money and you know we we're having these like conversations about should I be doing music and you know what does it mean if these labels don't like me and all these kinds of things and then like in the middle of this discussion I checked my email on my phone and you know, Reagan had messaged me about Hellfire Club and it was perfect it was like the group I always wanted to be a part of but didn't think that I could be so I just never even asked I wish my brother Rob was here mm. I do that was the the record that started getting you some attention and that was uh, all beats from kind of the low end theory scene. Yeah, right? it was a, it was a mixtape. I mean, I always I always listened to all this stuff. I've always been in a way here, but through the internet. And and I owe a lot to the internet because I can surrogately participate in this scene and learn about like Shlomo and all these great artists and steal their beats for mixtapes. Um yeah. And pretty instantly, you had a fan in Anthony Fantano from The Needle Drop. How how did that happen? Internet's busiest music nerd. Um, I think that he heard a quality that in my music that reverberated within him. I think that a lot of the stuff I rap about speaks to a human condition, if I may be so egotistical. And I'm not... At that time, I was still kind of concerned with punchlines, so like... I would write a song like Just Us, and then I'd try to write a song like Omar Don't Scare, where I was, you know, trying to brag about stuff. I don't really do that so much anymore. But at the time, it was like, yo, this is the stuff that Rob and I used to like to bump, so let me try to write some of those. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know how it happened. I just emailed him. You know, I was just lucky. He liked it and listened to it. There's, There's no... There's no, I don't know anyone who knows him. I didn't have, there's, there's nothing to it other than I wrote an email. Like I, I went to like about.com, like electronic press kit, how to, you know what I mean? Like, and just made the shit on my own and emailed it to him. He liked it. 
I first found out about you, I think, through the needle drop. Mm -hmm. And because I saw these catchphrases like rapper from Maine or something uh, raps over low end theory beats. And I was going, well, wait a second. My friends already do this. And and like these these people aren't or like these media outlets aren't listening to them. Like, what's the deal? I think. Well, I mean, I've thought about that a lot. And I think a lot of it is, um, you know, there's a certain there's a certain tendency to glorify, you know, if a younger person is doing some shit like that. Yeah. It was like a young loner from a strange part of the country. Exactly. I I guess romanticized. Do you see, do you see like a certain amount of irony in that, that, that like, you know, Mike and James, Mike, who you've said is your hero and one of, you know, the people person that got you into rapping almost, it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, him rapping over low end theory beats, wasn't getting as much notice. And then all of a sudden, you know, the understudy gets that attention. Like, did you, did you have any sense? Like, I don't want to say guilt, but like, did you feel strange about that at all? No, because I've always, anytime given the opportunity, I've just drooled on myself about open mic. Just big up to him. Yeah, dude. And, um, he was supposed to be on my first mixtape. Like I tried really hard to have that happen. And ultimately that song went on his EP. It's called Boss Fights. Yeah. I like that song. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Um, yeah. Like, you know, I, I tried everything I could to, to, to make sure that I, I respected and honored the people who came before me. And I, I still do try to do that to a degree. And I think, I mean, I think now there's a cool-ass synergy between Mike's fan base or, like, James's fan base or Bus Driver's fan base and my own. And a lot of... It definitely fits into the puzzle piece. Yeah, I, dude. There's I think a, that you're a good fit on the level. A lot of cool-ass moments where people are messaging me or commenting on, like, the Milo page, like, I had no idea who Bus Driver was. What are some other records I should listen to? And that's like my favorite conversation to have. So, yeah, it's cool. Another thing that I noticed when I first found out about you, you had a shitload of Twitter followers instantly. Did you pay for those? No, I didn't. How did that work? How Yo, did you get all those Twitter followers remember, so fast? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just pretty, pretty young brown man. That's all it is. That's all it was? I'm just a pretty dude. Okay. <laughs> Damn it. I wish I was prettier and browner so I could get yeah, my fucking man. Twitter follower. Yo. Up. This was up. <laughs> <laughs> You got a nice mustache, though. So. Thank you. I'm, I've been, I just sneezed and it popped up. Actually, I haven't. Been, I haven't been working on it. It's just yeah. You know, it's interesting. Big um, pores. You're talking about at Low End Theory when we met. You remind me a lot of my father. Oh, really? Yeah. You guys have a very similar like body language. Mm. So it was kind of dope to meet you because there was a certain amount of like this dude reminds me of my dad. So now I'm just gonna front like my dad's in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And you guys both even rock a similar facial hair. He must be a very handsome man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's strange because I'm like fucking talking to you. I'm closer to your dad's age than I am to your age. Yeah. So yeah, you guys would probably be makes sense. really I'm, good pals. I'm right in the middle of of you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, then your next project you put out, what was it? Milo takes baths. Yeah. Let's talk about this. We just had a funny, <laughs> we just had a funny run in. Actually, uh, we were downtown. And I was uh, at my buddy Romo's house waiting to pick up his camera that I used to film the videos for this. And uh, we, ran, we ran into Sean Caplow, who runs Anticon Records. And you have a, you have a history with him. Let's hear about I it. I do, man. Um, all right, so let's start at the very beginning. The beginning, start. Take it. So, okay, Mike. Like, Mike has been my mentor. Um, I think maybe at times, you know, he doesn't want to be. But he has been. <laughs> he's, he's never let me down. And um, I put out this first mixtape, and then I was like, hey, Mike, like, you know, this seems to be getting a pretty good response. How do I get signed? And um, he was like, well, make a list of labels that you want, and then you've got to have some new new to, to start pitching. So um, I always wanted to be on Anticon. And, you know, Alias is from Maine, and Y, and 
dose one and and you know it was it was it was it is exactly it was exactly the type of music that i i loved and wanted to be into. did you run into those guys in maine like would you see them at shows no or anything? no never i've never met any of those cats um but yeah i really wanted to be a part of that group of like kind of weird experimental stuff um so i made this demo of me rapping over bass beats because i was like yo bass is really dope and i'll make this demo and send it to anaconda and they'll be like yo you took the time to like make some stuff over one of our producers and like the way that i thought about it was it'd be a win-win because even if they didn't like it they put no work into it so it'd be like weird remix album to bass or whatever i just thought they'd dig it you know and it was it was an honest gesture of like how many songs i'm in all of you it's seven tracks of like you know this this is my little uh all over stuff on cerulean um no it was all like from all of his his records um so yeah i I tried to do that and mike was like i'll i'll pitch it to him like i know i know some cats over there pretty well and you know as you know mike's reputation in music is steadfast um so it was like i i thought it was in the bag dude i was like i'm about to be selling the car what up um and then they never hit him back. Like, he sent it over there, and he just never heard anything, I guess. Like, didn't hear anything positive or negative? Yeah, just, just nothing. nothing. So we waited and waited, and it was, like, months. And um, they just never hit it back. So I was like, oh, damn. So then it, it hit that time where it was like, I need to have a follow-up. I need to capitalize on this initial burst and show people that I can do some other shit. And, well, what did I have at the time? I had this seven-track demo. So I put it out, and I mean, I never tried to front that, like, Baz was my friend. I never tried to, like, capitalize on Baz or anything like that. Like, the name, I thought, was like, you know, <laughs> explain it all. I took Baz beats and rapped over them. I don't even, I mean, I'm sure he doesn't even like when they're called beats. I took the instrumental works of Baz and rapped The over. songs. Yeah. And um, it was pretty quick, man. I got this email uh, to my school email, too, which is, like, the one that I do a lot of my rap things from and I got back from class one day and I had the email sitting in there and I was like oh shit like this is it and um it was an email from Sean yeah it was an email from Sean and uh I have this I'm, I have a really bad anxiety disorder so I can almost never check important emails I have to have someone else do it so my boy Greg checks this email and um it's not sounding good and I'm thinking, like, is why? he reading it out loud to you? Yeah, I'm like, why are you fronting, bro, bro? Like, I know that thing says something else. And basically, it was just like, what, what, what do you think you're doing? Like, you should have. I, I want to say in particular, it said like, you should have gotten this approved by us. Blah blah blah. And I was like, well, yo, I, I did try to. And then, um, basically, I mean, to Sean's credit, he just kept it extra g like he kept it a hundred like he was like yeah i heard it and thought it was nothing special <laughs> like like dude just was like you know kept it a hundred and uh i was like oh and then he was like look like i don't want to be an asshole here so how about you make sure that you don't ever sell this and then i will make sure that we don't sue you and that was it that was it and then i made the mistake of like i think on the internet, I said some shit on like my Twitter, like Baz didn't like the tape, and he emailed me again. I was like, "Yo, don't say that!" Like, like, like he like was like, "You don't, you don't get to talk about it like at all." And it was like, "Oh, all right." They sent you a cease and desist. Um, not technically. It was like the precursor to the cease and desist. But yeah, basically, it was like, "Quit, 
quit this shit. Did he tell you like don't promote the project anymore? Like you can leave it up but don't mention it anymore or anything like that? Um no, no, nothing to that degree. It's just like make sure that people know that this is not through us. And then I'm assuming that he had Baz make sure that he never mentioned it cuz like I had the internet going nuts, man. And I know Fantano and like fans were like tweeting this dude like what does he think? And I mean other producers had said shit like for example, the song Just Us that I have, I stole a Shlomo beat for that. And I'm sorry that I did that. But Shlomo messaged me on Twitter and was really cool and was like really super supportive of it. And um, it was dope. And and that just none of that ever happened with the Baz situation. I'm not trying to make Baz or Anticon sound like bad people. I'm a loser. Oh, no, they're not bad. They're not bad no, people. I'm just saying I'm I'm from nowhere. You know what I mean? So like they didn't they didn't owe me anything. And I was in my head, everything is peaches and cream. And, and you know, that's just not how the world is. And that was my first interaction with people who just felt like they didn't owe me shit. And they didn't. You know, side note, shout to Bad's episode one kind of neat. We're going full circle. No, I mean, it's whatever. It, it just, it depressed me really bad. And I didn't, it took me like, you know, six months before I could approach music again. And for me, I write a song a day. Like I write a lot of music. So for me to have like a six month hiatus was weird. So when you saw Sean walking up <laughs> to the coffee shop you were sitting at, what, Yo, did, did, what, did, what did you feel like? I hit you with that. that re- oh, shoot. I was like, <laughs> like, I said that to you. And then you're like, oh, this is Sean. I was like, I, you know, the funny thing is I knew the story and I just didn't cross my mind at that moment. And so I was like, oh, hey, Sean, have you met Milo? And then afterwards <laughs> I went, that, oh. He had that smile. He's like, yeah, I met this Afterwards I went, oh, fuck, I forgot that those. No, know, it was fine, too. man. It was cool. I mean, we both, it was kind of like this weird I'm not I'm not the weirdo on on the internet anymore. I mean, it's not like I'm blowing up, you know, I'm not huge, but I'm a, I'm there's a little bit now, you know, there's a little fan base, there's a little legitimacy, and um there's certainly a moment of like, yo, we had a weird interaction once, but I, I don't know, I don't have any bad blood. Tell me about your anxiety disorder. Yeah, I have a real bad anxiety disorder. Like is there a title for it or is it just Um, I don't know. In high school I used to go to therapy and then um and I just started lying to everyone, and then I didn't have to go to therapy anymore. What made you initially go to therapy? Um, I don't know. I've had... Panic attacks? Yeah, and, like, I don't know. My whole life I've been like, oh, where's this head boy? <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's just what it is. And now, I mean, before I went on this tour, my dad called me and told me that I looked like a man on the edge of a nervous breakdown in my Anthony Fantano interview. Do you feel that way? I don't, but then he said that shit, and it was on, like, am I? <laughs> like, you know, like, it started making me really nervous. Um, I don't know, man. Some of well, like, what age did you start feeling anxiety? I feel like my whole life I've been anxious. I don't know. Is it paired with depression stuff? Yeah, it tends to be. But is it is it like a systemic depression where you've been depressed so long that you just know how to deal with it, and you don't feel the need to medicate? Or Yeah, that's how I feel. I guess, um, to a degree, it's very, you know, it's stupid, man, but it's just like it. This is who I am. I don't know. I'm not trying to, I'm not necessarily trying to espouse that philosophy because there are people who definitely need medication, but I feel like this is who I am and I don't, I don't want to. The sadness is just a part of you. Yeah. I don't want to. Numb that. I don't know if I want to say numb that, but I don't want to change myself. It's the same reason why I don't smoke weed or I don't drink alcohol or whatever. I'm not, I'm not trying to become another person to a degree. And I feel like that's what those things do. So. What age did you start seeing a therapist about anxiety? Um, shoot, 16, 17, somewhere in there. 
was it triggered because of um, like a massive panic attack or was it just people started noticing you taking things too seriously? Um, my whole life I'd taken things really seriously and it was like, you still haven't grown out of that. You know what I mean? And that was when it was like, you're becoming an adult now and that's scary. Was there initial reaction to medicate you? Yeah, there was. And I, I just was ardently refused it. And that's something that to my dad's credence, he's always, um, for the most part, backed me up on. I mean, there have been times when my family is like, yo, dog, you should probably get medicine. But um, for the most part, they're like, if you think that you can handle it, then we believe in you. Yeah. So, I mean, to an extent, like with school and things like that, there's always been this notion of like, uh, if, if, if I'm overwhelmed, just quit. Just leave. Just do whatever it takes to not be anxious anymore. Um, so, yeah. That surprises me to hear from you because your overall demeanor is very calming, I feel, and you seem very zen. How do you center yourself to portray an outwardly calm demeanor? I mean, that's kind of what you do. You know, It's trying to keep a situation. Like, if I act calm, then people tend to be calm around me. Um, and if I'm not, then they're not. You know what I mean? So, I, I don't know. It's like, I just try to keep things cool, keep everyone around me cool. But yeah, like last night, for example, I was having this discussion with Rohan. Shout out to Rohan. Shout out to Hellfire Club. We were in the studio, just having like a hella good time. Like everyone's in there laughing, but it was like so loud and there were so many people. And it was like, I was on the verge of a panic attack. And I was like, like yo, Rohan, I think I'm about to lose it, man. Like I got to get out of this room. You know, um, it just happens sometimes. I don't know. It sucks. And so did you just go outside and relax? Yeah, I just, you know, walk out of the room and, you know, like, text my girlfriend something stupid and try to breathe and come back in. Your music is kind of, I don't know, would you call it dark? Would I call my music dark? I would call my music genuine. And I think because of that, it mirrors reality to a degree. My reality, and maybe my reality is dark. But it's not, I'm not sitting down like, yo, let's write some sad shit today. It's like, I just want to be honest and heartfelt. And, I mean, that's what I, that's that is what attracted me so much to like open mic's music. Like I remember being 12 and hearing open mic and being like, this dude is like rapping for me. You know what I mean? Or like um, when I was a senior in high school, he dropped unapologetic art rap and there's a song unapologetic with no can do. And, and we talked about this on a different podcast, but like moments where it was like, this is for me. Like this is a call to arms for me. Like I'm finally not alone anymore. And, um, that is a huge thing in my life, those moments. And I guess if I can try to replicate those for other people, then I will. So by being honest, I hope to do that. So is music a cathartic and therapeutic thing for you? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Do you find, do you find yourself writing happier when you are happier? I often find myself when I'm at my happiest writing my saddest shit because oh, really? yeah, because it's like a good vent uh, to keep myself happy. I don't honestly, I don't consider mood when I'm writing. I consider topic, I consider um, like philosophical content, and then those things tend to generate a mood afterwards that I am aware of when it is done. But I don't ever go into like this song. Is it going to be a happy one? Like, I'm right. Yeah, and it never song. starts that way for me, really. Like, the mood is kind of established by the music for me. And, and, mm -hmm. and oftentimes I'm drawn to uh, perhaps a brighter mood of music when mm -hmm. I'm at my lowest. And I feel like it, I'm doing that to try and pull myself out of it, maybe. That's interesting, man. I, um, I flirt with the depths. When I'm sad, I want to, like, let's see where the fuck this goes. When I'm sad, I want to hear sad shit. 
and I tend to be sad, so maybe that's what's up. But Did, yeah, does it ever get to the point where you're like have a hard time getting out of bed? Um, oh hell yeah, dude! <laughs> it's funny you bring that up. Last uh, last year uh, was really hard for me. My sophomore year of college that was the first year after Rob died, and um, I was taking a whole bunch of philosophy classes, and one of them was called the Soul, and the class wound up pissing me off a lot because there'd be a lot of philosophers who like don't believe in a notion of soul and I'm not necessarily saying I do but at the time it was like yo one of my best friends is dead and you're saying like souls don't exist and that fucks me up so I would yeah I just not get out of bed a lot and at the end of the semester you know with most classes there's like a few grace absences and then it starts hurting your grade and I'd accrued like 14 (laughs) <laughs> like 14 absences in this class and we take the final and afterwards the professor like walks outside he's like Rory can I talk to you about something like you missed a lot of classes or something I don't know about he's like I don't know man it's hard to get out of bed sometimes and uh, I think that, I think we'd be surprised if we were honest with people more often how they understand that and I mean my professor did he didn't duck my grade at all I didn't have to make up shit you know what I mean And I, I, I try really hard to be that honest with people generally because it's uh I, I think it's disarming and i don't know maybe that stems from being from maine but i, I just i'm trying to know people and trying to uh interact meaningfully you know? did you grow up around religion did i grow up around religion yeah absolutely i did and from which side of the family both sides both sides all sides very heavily christian um yeah and has that left your life with your philosophical studies no not by any means it's something that i don't talk about because i i, I really guard it a lot but i mean this is a cool thing um yeah no i absolutely believe in 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 christianity i buy into it wholeheartedly like i said grace before meals and all that stuff. No, I don't feel like they compete at all um, because there's a there's a realm of faith. So then when you say something like um, you took a class called soul, mm-hmm. which is saying that humans don't have souls, but you're going, I don't know if I quite believe that. Shouldn't you wholeheartedly believe that humans do have souls? Like, wouldn't that go completely against your learning? No, not at all, because I feel like uh, doubt, doubt is so central to the human condition, you know, and faith. And I, I mean, there are absolutely moments where I don't have faith and I'm not trying to front, you know what I mean? But overall, yeah, I, I, I say prayers before I go to sleep at night and I hope I see my friend Rob again, if that's possible. But to another extent, too, obviously I do study philosophy and I am looking for rational answers and inquiry, but I don't I don't think those things necessarily need to compete. So, I mean... Maybe that's an inconsistent narrative, but it's kind of like Walt Whitman talks about in Songs of Myself. Like, I am my inconsistencies. I am paradox. You know? I don't feel the need to be consistent. And I think some of the best rappers throughout um, history have always been very contradictory characters. Word. And I, I guess, yeah, that is a contradictory aspect of myself. But Yeah, I mean, not that I think Tupac is one of the greatest rappers, <laughs> but Tupac was a great character, and he's Word. somebody who would go from ballet class you know fuck your mother to making a fucking song about respect your mother i'm trying to think the only tupac song that i really grew up knowing was my dad's a big fan of picture me rolling okay. picture me rolling in my 500 bands you know? <laughs> yeah. and my dad loves that song oh man it's strange to talk it's strange to talk to a dude that doesn't know there's tupac because he's too young one dude i mean it's not that i'm too young i just not interested i wasn't big on there's tupac this either. one cat though on that record i'm like boss hog and he has this voice right? he's like Boss Hog is a motherfucker. I'm a good mind. Now I'm like classified. Like it was ill. 
Talk to me about the two EPs that you just put out. Bow, the two EPs I put out. Um, things That Happen at Day, Things That Happen at Night. Uh, Day is produced by Riley Lake. Night is produced by Analog Tape Dispenser. Um, one of them is very philosophical. One of them is more poetic. It was supposed to be exploring this notion of duality. Exactly what we're talking about. Contradictions. How can... All right, here's something. I'm not, I don't know you very well. I don't know what you're like when you're drunk, but I'm certain that you're not exactly this way. I'm much more of an asshole when I'm drunk. See, that's interesting. And like, which one is you? I would like to think that that's not me. That's, see, that's such an interesting thing to me, this, this duality that we all have. And I mean, I have these same moments where I'm like, that wasn't me. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, then I started to think, well, like rap. Like, who the fuck is Milo? <laughs> like, you know, like, that isn't me. Um, but it is. And and that's what I wanted to explore with this record, which is why it's a double EP and shit like that. You know what I mean? It was, it was supposed to be an exploration of duality as a philosophical concept. And do they, do they contradict and compete with each other? I think absolutely they do. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this stuff, maybe I, this is a perfect time to go into it. Um, a lot of that stuff hasn't, it's like, it seems like no one's gotten that. But like, for example, on the first record, there's a song called Folk Metaphysics, which is this very like honest list of things that I want to get better at and fears that I have of my life in the future. And it was brought about by um, my ex-girlfriend dumping me because she thought I was a lunatic. And um, then on the night record, I did Folk Metaphysics Second Edition, which is this song that's about, in some level, you you like love a woman because of the personality and the mind. But then in another sense, you are a biological creature. And like, why are these competing narratives? Why is it that you have to front like you don't want someone physically and only want them mentally or something? So then those two competing jams and like the hook to folk metaphysics second edition is like, you should go ahead and shake it. And like, no one's brought that up. Like, why did he write this hook like that? Maybe they all got it and it was so obvious it wasn't worth discussing, but I thought it was interesting. So there's a lot of duality like that in the, um, EPs. Where'd you come up with the name Milo? I got it from. Have you ever read The Phantom Tollbooth? No. It's a children's book, man. Oh, okay. uh, it is something that I read when I was a kid and always stuck with me. But basically, the gist is there's this really crummy little kid named Milo. And like the first paragraph is the reason I took the name. It's like anywhere he was, he wished he wasn't there. Like when he was in school, he wanted to be home. When he's at home, he wants to be in school. Just this fickle, nasty kid. And he goes on this journey to this magical land and recognizes the power of words and, like, how they create reality. And it's really punny, and there's all sorts of, like, mental puzzly games in it. And he comes back different. And I was like, well, that seems like a cool thing. So I just took his name. Nice. It was simple. Outside the time, I was really influenced. <laughs> I was listening to a lot of Drake. And I liked how simple his name was. Drake. You know, it was just like, bow. Um and I, I don't know, it just, it, it resonated. With I was me. always hoping it was a reference to the descendants. Yeah, a lot of people say that to me. Um, I'm sorry I let everyone it's, down. It's okay, I forgive you. So what are you working on currently? Currently, I'm working on this record called Cavalcade. I think it's going to be a mixtape. I'd like it to be free. Um, so far it's about a little over halfway done. And um, I played, yo, this is like the first time I had a real rapper-ass rapper moment. I played it in the studio last night. And No Can Do replayed it three times in a row. That's like, one of the jams from it. Like, he was like, run it back. Run it back. Like, it was dope. Like, I felt like it was like, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm I'm finally getting to the point where I'm making music that I enjoy. Was it a dream come true to play low-end theory while you were here? Whew, 
dude, such a dream country. That's like, you know, traveling to Mecca or something. And it's insane because, um, like, on the flyer, my name was there. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. It's insane because, yeah, I was at Low in Theory. And it's insane because a large number of the people there were, like, screaming lyrics to the songs. And, like, some kid in the audience, I was like, yo, I wrote this song about logical fallacies. Do you, like, anyone know what that is? And this kid was like, postdoc, ergo, propter hoc. And to think that, like, some random kid is speaking Latin in Lowen theory because of me, that was a surreal moment. Did Sasha Gray tweet about that song? Yeah, dude, she did. She said, hip-hop's not dead. That's crazy. Dude, it is cool, How does that feel? Um, I mean, now she she said something else. She was like, he had me when he mentioned Schopenhauer. Schopenhauer is my favorite philosopher in the whole world. So I really kind of am interested in like a conversation with her. Would about you Would you try to smash? No, no, why? sir. Why? Yeah, why not? Um, I have a girlfriend, man. I'm if not, you didn't I'm have a girlfriend, to, nah, really not. Yeah, not to be rude. I mean, I'm not trying. It's not like my opinion will affect her self esteem at all. But it's just <laughs> not. That's not me. Um, tell the people where they can find you online. Twitter uh, at Yo Milo. Um, Facebook is uh, facebook.com slash modest Milo, one word. And then hellfireclub.bandcamp.com is where the double EPs are located. Thanks for coming in, man. Thank you so much, dude. That was really um, cathartic conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, guys. This is Intuition, and uh, that was kind of neat. Mm-hmm.